Well, good morning once again, VRVC, and happy Father's Day. So great to have you online with us. So great to see so many dads in the room, to see so many folks in the room. And um, dads, I just want you to know, we thank God for you. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for blessing us. In fact, I think in gratitude, um, we ought to all pledge right now on this one day of the year to laugh uproariously at all the dad jokes we hear from our dads today. Who will take the dad joke challenge? I don't see many hands, Dad. Sorry about that. Uh, I saw a couple hands. Well, this morning we are continuing the series called Walkathon. The Christian life is a daily trek with Jesus. And we've been learning through uh, the letter of 1 John how to walk in the light and how to walk in purity. Today I want us to talk about walking in integrity. And in the passage that we're going to read from 1 John chapter 3, it is true that the word integrity is not used, but, but I think integrity is, is a great one-word summary of the passage that we're about to read, especially uh, a Christian, a distinctively Christian integrity. And I want you to see if you agree as we read 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away your sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. May God bless the reading of his word. So I mentioned to you that I think integrity is a great one-word summary of those six verses. And it might be helpful to ask maybe what comes to your mind as you hear that word integrity. I mean, probably all of us would say that at least somewhere connected to the word integrity is this idea of living by a, a moral code. But, but is integrity simply being a, a rule follower or is there more to it? And, and when it comes to living out of, of a moral code, where does the code come from? Because sometimes moral codes are different. Uh, if you ask Jesus, he says, you know, if someone slaps you on one cheek to turn the other cheek. But I've heard people say, uh, my moral code is I never throw the first punch, but I always throw the last punch. So that's, that's a little different, isn't it? A little different moral code. So, so where does the code comes from, come from? What motivates us to live by the code? What happens when we don't live by the code? I, I, I feel like we need a more robust idea of this word integrity. What does it really imply? And so this morning, I want us to dig a little deeper into the word. And as we do, I'm going to get a little nerdy with you. That's a big shock, I know. Uh, but I am a card-carrying nerd. I've got the laminated card in my wallet as we speak. And, I, 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 and so one of the nerdy things I like to do, first of all, I, I like to read often with an e-reader, a Kindle. And one of the things that you can do is you can long press a word and you can not only get a definition, but sometimes you can even get some background on where this word came from. 
And if you've ever long pressed the word integrity, you know that its roots have to do with wholeness. In fact, the word uh, integrity and the math term integer are connected. An integer is a, a whole number, not a fraction. And so in some of our other English words like integrate or disintegrate, there is the idea of, of wholeness or its opposite, the, the idea of, of fragmentation. And so I want to talk about Christian integrity. I, I want to talk about Christian wholeness. Um, and as I read these words from chapter 3, to me they provide a beautiful picture of wholeness in Christ. And so I want to give you, if you were to summarize the sermon in one sentence, it would be this. Christian integrity is the bridge between our Father's love and our Father's lifestyle. Think of Christian integrity as a bridge that connects our Heavenly Father's love for us and our Heavenly Father's holiness and the ways in which he calls us to live. And so integrity certainly includes a lifestyle. It certainly includes a, a moral code, if you will. But really, integrity is so much bigger than a moral code. Uh, it, is, it is so connected to who we are in Jesus Christ. And so I want us to see that, that first of all, the first part of this definition, if you will, I want us to see that our identity is built upon our Heavenly Father's love for us. Christian integrity is built on our identity as being deeply loved by God through Jesus Christ. And I think this is brilliantly revealed for us in verse 1, which is one of my favorite verses in, in the whole Bible. See or behold, some translations say, what great love the Father, whenever the Father is capitalized in Scripture, that is always referring to God the Father. See what great love the Father has lavished, what a great word, lavished on us that we should be called children of God, our new identity for all those who've placed their faith in Jesus. And that is what we are. As I read these words, it's almost like, have you ever heard the expression, I had to pinch myself to make sure I wasn't dreaming? I, I almost feel like the Apostle John is pinching himself as he writes these words. He's, he's simply stunned by the grace of God that has been lavished on him. How is it, he seems to be saying, that we sinful rebels have been adopted by God and are now called the children of God? I mean, it's almost like the Apostle John, this fisherman, is holding up his spiritual birth certificate uh, with those like, size 11 man footprints on them and saying, this is my spiritual birth certificate. I am a child of God. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, I have been adopted into God's family. That is what I am. That is what we are. In fact, you see these words, uh, uh, what great, right here, see what great love. Literally, it means from what country. I love that. It's like, from what country did this kind of love come from? I've never seen this kind of love before. This kind of love is not familiar to me. It's the same phrase in, in, in the original language uh, that's used in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, right after Jesus is in the boat with his disciples and he calms the storm. And uh, Matthew 8, 27 says, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? And literally, from what country did he come from? Well, he came from a heavenly country, right? He didn't come from our country. Even the winds and the waves obey him. We've never seen love like this before. You almost get the impression that we're be just being asked 
See, behold, look at this, think about this, reflect on this, journal about this, if you will, pray about this, reflect on the great love that has been poured into us through Jesus Christ. Now, I probably should acknowledge, especially on Father's Day, that even to say the name Father prompts a variety of reactions, uh, depending upon our relationship with our earthly father. And so um, my guess is when I say that word, there are all kinds of diverse reactions that are triggered across the worship center. And, and some super positive, some very negative, some really sad, you know, of some uh, really ebullient, and just all kinds of, of reactions. Uh, maybe some of you, you grew up without a, a father in your life. I have friends um, whose dads were soldiers and uh, were killed in action when they were just babies or, 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 or toddlers. And uh, one of my friends used to wear his dad's uh, army jacket uh, to high school. He, he lost his dad in the Vietnam War. And, and uh, it's such a mixed thing because they're so proud of their father's legacy, and yet they've been so scarred by their father's absence. I have friends whose dads were, were broken in some way, um, psychologically, emotionally, uh, experientially broken, and, and that their parenthood kinda had a serrated edge to it, and they still feel the, the scars of that. I have many friends whose dads were among some of the finest Christians that they've ever known, and they got to grow up in a house uh, being fathered by, by you know, this uh, incredible Christian example. I would certainly put myself in that category. And so it's, it's a diversity of reactions. I would never want to discount the impact that an earthly father can have on our lives, including our spirituality, but I want you to hear that verse one speaks to all of us who've put our faith in Jesus, regardless of the homes that we grew up in. This verse is about the transformative impact that our eternal father makes on us. This heavenly father has shown us his love by sending Christ to save us, to forgive us, to adopt us, to put uh, a chair around the father's table but not only that, this love has not only adopted us, forgiven us of our sins, this love is also preparing a future for us. You know, maybe you think you've, you've been knocked out of the circle of God's love because of some of the mistakes you've made, but you haven't. And, and, and what future awaits children of God? Well, we'll look at verse two. Dear friends, now we are children of God. This is our current status and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Our identity is defined by our Heavenly Father. Present tense, we are his children. But he is also preparing a future for us. And there's a lot of mystery about it. Right? Uh, in fact, um, you know, the Apostle John states it very clearly. What we will be, our destiny, has not yet been made known. Now, I selfishly wish the Holy Spirit had given the Apostle John a lot more information about 
heaven about our destiny, don't you? I, I'd, I'd like to have a few travel brochures about what that destination will be like. But it's almost as if the Apostle John speaks with a certain reticence about heaven. Unlike some Christians I know who seem to know very specifically uh, what heaven will be like. And they'll tell you, you know, that daddy's riding the four-wheeler right now and getting ready to tee off this afternoon. You know, and they're like, they have like great specificity of what's happening right now in heaven. But as a pastor, I, I can tell you, I've heard so many anguished questions through the years when it comes to people grappling with the destiny of their loved ones. And they've asked me really hard questions. They've asked me questions like, can you tell me precisely where my mom is right now? They've asked me, will my child who died, will they continue to grow in heaven? Will I be able to recognize family members in heaven? I sure think we will. That's just a hunch. How long will it take before we get to see families? Is there a lengthy intake process? Do you think our family members worry about us down here? Are they too busy praising God? So many questions. And look, I'm not saying the Bible gives us zero hints about the life to come. I mean, read Revelation, for example, especially the last two chapters, right? And, and you'll read all kinds of amazing promises about what life is going to be like. But there are so many things we don't know. John says, what will be has not yet been made known. And I would think John, son of Zebedee, a disciple of Jesus, would know uh, if it had been made known. But John does tell us two things that we can count on. One is that when Christ appears, we'll see him. And the other is that when Christ appears, we will be like him. Isn't that amazing? We will see him and we will be like him fully. Not, you know, we, we aspire to Christ's likeness here, but we will be fully Christ-like when we see him face to face. And I think those are two promises that you and I can hang our hats on today. Those Promises have been revealed to us today. And we can trust Jesus for the rest. I know this is a silly way to look at it, but uh, it almost feels to me like Jesus is preparing a, a surprise party for us. And he hasn't asked for our wish list. He hasn't even consulted our Amazon list. Uh, he hasn't asked us what flavor of cake we want. Uh, uh, all, all that we know is this, that uh, Jesus, who knows us better than we know ourselves, is going to plan it all, and we can trust the promise of Ephesians 3.20 that Jesus will do beyond all that we could ask or even imagine. And so we wait, and so we trust, and so we bask in this love that has saved us, and we also bask in this love that holds our future in his hands. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. John, I'm, John Caswell, I'm messing with my microphone. What do I want to do? Do I want to pull it out a little bit? Pull it back. You're fascinated by this, aren't you? This is, uh, 
This is the kind of insider baseball you dream about knowing, but you usually don't. How's that, John? Is that better? Is that good? All right. I got a thumbs up from the booth. Thanks to the booth. Um, what was I talking? I was talking about First John, wasn't I? <laughs> oh my goodness! I think I said that. Thank you. Jesus is going to do more than we could ask or imagine, and so and so we wait, and so we trust, uh, so we don't mess up our microphones, so we bask in the love that He has. Jesus told. Uh, his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm, I'm going to take care of it. Jesus told his disciples, no one could pluck them out of his hand. I mean, try, try, grasshopper. You won't get it, right? I, I've got you. I, I won't let you go. Christian integrity is living and basking in the love of God. It's anchoring our identity in our relationship with the Father and his love for us. I find this to be a pretty reliable truth in life uh, as a pastor. And that is when I know that people realize how deeply loved they are by God and Jesus Christ, I don't worry about them as much. I don't. I don't worry about teenagers who know that God loves them because I don't fear that they will seek that kind of love somewhere else. I don't worry about adults spending all their lives looking for love in all the wrong places because they know who they are in Christ and they know the love the Father has lavished on them. I don't fear that people will trade their souls for worldly recognition because they don't realize how much their Heavenly Father loves them and knows them and has numbered every hair on their heads. You know, from time to time, I'll be walking at a sporting event or a mall, and I'll see a mom or dad, and they're carrying a toddler, and that toddler is just completely sacked out. And they're walking, right? I mean, their head's just bumping up and down, and they are completely asleep. Have you ever seen something like that before? It's amazing, isn't it, to see something like that? And, and to me, that's such a great picture of us being enveloped in the Father's love. And that is we can, we can sleep, we can rest in the bumpiness of life because we are secure that our Father's not going to drop us. We are secure that he loves us. Okay, to get a Christian idea of integrity, this first part about identity is so important. That's the first part of the bridge. But the second part of the bridge is this, and that is our character is based on the Father's lifestyle. Our character is based on the Father's lifestyle. Doesn't mean we're sinless. It does not mean we're called to perfection. But it does mean that we have that quality that I would say just about every kid I know who's grown up with an amazing parent has. Whether they admit it or not, and they probably won't during their teenage years, but there's a big part of them that wants to grow up to be just like that parent. They, they, wanna, they want to emulate what they've seen modeled. And as I mentioned earlier, for, for, for some of us, a godly dad has set a high bar. And the older we get, the more we pray, our legacy will reflect that legacy. The apostle John is not afraid to talk about the character of Christ um, and, and, and to talk about aspiring to that character. And so look at verse three. All who have this hope of of seeing Jesus face to face and, and being made like Jesus, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he 
is pure. There's the bridge. The love that God has for us, the hope that we have in Christ, puts this new desire in us to have the kind of integrity that characterizes Jesus. Because Christ is pure and holy, we ask that, as 1 John 1, 9 says, that his blood cleanse us, forgive us, and purify us. We ask that his love, this hope, address uh, the problem uh, of verse 4, which is, is the essence of sin, what John calls lawlessness. Remember when we said integrity is wholeness? Lawlessness is fragmentation. Lawlessness is Romans 7. Lawlessness is knowing what is right, but doing the opposite. And, and, it, and it leads to, James says in James 1.8, a double-minded person. It leads to a split soul. It leads to a fragmentation. It leads to a fracture. Now, sometimes you read 1 John and you say, is he saying that a true Christian never sins? It's not what he's saying. Look at verse 5. But you know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Jesus is the sinless one. And he appeared that he might take away our sins. The, the, the verb literally means to lift up. To lift up and to carry. We are weighted down with this burden of sin and Jesus lifts it off our back. And like the scapegoat in the Old Testament, our sins and shame are laid on him and he is sent out. He's the scapegoat. He takes our sins away as far as the east is from the west. Where's our sin? Where's our shame? We don't know. Jesus, Jesus lifted it off of us and he took it eternally far away from us. This is why he came. And so our integrity flows out of that relationship. And, uh, and, and, and once again, not sinless, but called to aspire to the Father's lifestyle. Called to integrate our knowledge of God's word with the way that we live, our thoughts and our actions. I think this is what verse 6 means when it says, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. People who've never met Jesus are going to lack that vision to experience what Christ would describe as godly integrity. They've never seen it lived out in, in Christ. But we have experienced the love and grace of Jesus. We have seen him in the pages of Scripture. We have seen him in our, and experienced him in our own lives. And it is that grace, Paul says, in which we now stand. And that grace and that vision changes us, changes our lifestyle. It gives us a vision of integrity. It changes how we see others. We don't look down from some judgmental peak on others. Because we know how sinful we are. We know our own sin and shame that he's carried away. And so we see others with humility. We see others with mercy. Once again, we don't stop sinning, but we do dream of holiness. And we pray for a lifestyle that reflects the vision of Jesus. The scholar F.F. Bruce has uh, an illustration I really liked. It's a little dated, but, but he said, imagine a young man going off to a boarding school. And let's say, first day of class, there's this kind of lawn out in front of the quadrangle, and there's a perpendicular sidewalk, but, the, the, but the, the young man's running late, and so what does he do? He kind of walks across the grass. And let's say that an upperclassman comes up to him and says, hey, look, what you just did, that isn't done here. Now, does he mean that literally? Of course not. 
<laughs> this, this young man just walked across the grass, it, it, and it's been done before, and it will be done again. People will walk across the grass. No, what he's saying is, we, the, the upperclassmen saying we respect the institution, and so we hold ourselves to a different standard. I think that's the call of integrity. It's trying to figure out what does it mean to live a life that honors Christ? Will we transgress? Will we walk across the grass? Yes, we will, right? But we can ask for forgiveness and pray for a new way of living. Kate Bowler is a a brilliant theologian and a funny writer, and in one of her books, she talks about growing up in Canada, and she falls in love with this Mennonite boy. When she's in high school, she falls in love with a Mennonite boy named Tobin. And Tobin later became her husband. And she said, so one, uh, when she was in high school, one November, she actually got invited to go with her boyfriend Tobin to his grandmother's house for this big Mennonite Thanksgiving celebration. It was quite an honor. And she said she walks into the house, and the house is alive with cooking and laughter and singing. And, and she said that Tobin's grandmother came over to her and said, hey, could you, could you help? And she said, sure. And, and she said that his grandmother, with wrinkled hands, showed me how to kind of roll out the buns and, and, uh, and, and kind of uh, pull, you know, in, in these thick pull-apart sheets that they were going to bake. And, and she said when it was finally time for lunch, Kate sat down at her assigned table. Somebody told her, this is where you're going to sit. And she noticed that there was a little name card, and it said Kate, and it was written in pen. And there was a young wife who was sitting next to her, and and she said, yeah, you know, Grandma saves these name cards year after year. And she said, not all of them are written in pen. (laughs) She said, yours is written in pen? That's fantastic, right? You're in with Grandma. In some ways, that's, that's not a bad illustration of Christian integrity. Right from the start, before we've done anything to deserve it, we couldn't deserve it. God says, because of my grace, because of my son Jesus Christ, I'm writing your name in the indelible ink of his love for you. That ink will never fade. You're in <laughs> eternally. But you're also invited to learn the ways of the house, to learn the ways we celebrate around here, to learn the ways we work, to learn the ways we sing, to learn the ways we serve one another, to learn the traditions of this family of God. The Father schools us in the Father's lifestyle. I think this is powerful. I think this integrity fueled by a Christian identity has so much to offer the world. And dads, I would say to us, it has so much to offer our kids, our grandkids. We, of all people know, don't we dads, that we will never be perfect. But I think the security that comes when we know that we're loved by Jesus can create a a sense of security for our kids as well. It can can provide a, a cocoon of safety, of, of protection for them. They, they won't have to wonder, well, which dad is it today? Because it's not f- fragmented dad. Right? It, it, it's the same dad, the real dad. The one dad, he's still learning and growing, but he knows who he is, and he knows where he's going, and he leads out of that love. He lives out of that love. 
I fell in love with this um, little uh, video clip I saw a few weeks ago. It's about a young dad. His name is Jacob Kingsley. And uh, Jacob and his wife took their 11-month-old son to a Cincinnati Reds baseball game. And uh, his wife was, was naturally nervous. Their seats were only 15 rows away from the field of play. And so Jacob said the entire game, his wife was looking and saying, you're watching, right? You are watching uh, for foul balls, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm watching, I'm watching. And, uh, and then it happened, uh, a fly ball, hooking, hooking, foul. And dads, in honor of you, I give you a sports clip in the middle of a sermon on Father's Day. Let's, let's watch it. Bicep soreness, pops it up. Nice job. Wow, feeding the baby. Wow. Holds the bottle, no spillage, baby in perfect bliss, and a souvenir. Nice. Nice. <laughs> That's sensational. That is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so get this, when, when Jacob Kingsley saw the fly ball, you know what he said to himself? He said, okay, this is my time, I gotta step up. This is my time, I gotta step up. The baby never even knew what was going on. The baby never even knew that he was in danger, right? Because the dad managed to feed the baby with one hand and protect the baby with the other. This is my time, he said. I gotta step up. Dad's in the room and, and online, this is our time. To know that we're safe in the arms of our Heavenly Father. To know that our Father loves and protects us. And to honor our Heavenly Father with a lifestyle of nurturing and protecting our children. Church, this is our time. Right? This is our time. Not perfection. We won't see that this side of heaven. But yes to basking in the Father's love the love that has been lavished on us in Christ. Yes to dreaming about the Father's future for us when we see Christ face to face and are transformed into his likeness. Yes, aspiring to the Father's lifestyle of serving and protecting those around us. This is our time, church. Let, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, from what country, from what galaxy did your love come from that sinful rebels like us could be adopted, could have our name cards around your table written in indelible grace? Lord, where did this come from, this mysterious love? And now, Lord, you call us as your people. It's our time. It's our time to live a life of Christian wholeness, to live a life knowing how deeply loved we are and how glorious our future is with you. And then more and more, Lord, to confess the lawless thoughts and deeds 
and to aspire to the purity and holiness that your spirit can give us. To serve, to protect, right? To honor you and to share your love with the next generation. This is our time, Lord. We thank you for your love and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.